0: Welcome to the keys coach podcast. I'm Adam and this is the podcast where I sit down with piano keys and synth players and talk about their life in music. This is a bonus episode because today's guest is Mike McLennan and we're going to be looking at what it means to be a TV and film composer. Mike really is at the top of his game. He's the composer for the BBC series Who Do You Think You Are? He's written music for Designated Survivor, The Grand Tour and Dynasty. He's worked on countless film scores and he's also released several albums under his own name. I caught up with Mike while he was taking some time off from his various projects and it was great to sit down with him and hear about all of the awesome things he's up to. If you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in writing music for film or tv or even library music which we'll dive into during this conversation mike gives so much great advice for anyone looking to enter the industry before we dive into the conversation if you're looking to level up your keys playing and are interested in hearing more about the keys coach as we continue to grow i've put a link to sign up to our wait list in the episode description this will mean you'll be the first to know as soon as new content is released. We've got lots of exciting plans for the future. Okay, let's dive into it. Here is the conversation with the awesome Mike McLennan. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's uh, great to see you. Um, whereabouts are you? Uh, I
1: am in Oxfordshire, so I'm in Didcot, just about 20 minutes from Oxford.
0: Thanks for having me on nice to see you no thanks thanks for coming on it is nice it's been it's been so it's such a long time since we had a proper catch-up and yeah, um, yeah. for anyone who's listening to the podcast M- I, I, Mike's in his um I imagine this is your studio I can just see like a piano in the background and is this your kind of your 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 office
1: yeah so I've got so but we can't see it behind you there with all the kind of computer and
0: screens and all that sort of thing um
1: that's the kind of well I'd like to think I sit and map out ideas but it doesn't often play out that way
0: at the piano yeah no it's good it's a lovely space how long have you had that space in your in your garden
1: uh this was summer 2020 so coming up to three years a lockdown project yeah yeah it's been a game changer with two young kids around so it's just nice to because it's it's nice it's kind of at home but it's separate so it's i can get out here and go into a soundproof box and focus but then i can sort of be at home with the kids as well so it's a nice balance does it feel like you're going to work? I, th- I think it's just that it, it gives it enough of that feeling, like that there is a commute of about twenty yeah. feet. Um, yeah,
0: so it just yeah, it does allow you to switch off. Um, for everyone listening, I mean, Mike's done so much different stuff. I don't even know even know where to begin. And we actually knew each other back when we were uh, sort of at, at uni. Um, I thought it might be really cool just to do a little deep dive just into actually how you got into music in the first place. So were, were you like brought up in a musical family? Was that was that part of your upbringing?
1: Um, I so m- m- neither my parents are musical. My my granddad on my mum's side was musical, but I don't I don't know how much that had a direct effect on on me getting into it. I mean, mm. I what, what I remember of being told is basically I. I stood about, I was quite late to talking. So about age two or three, I couldn't, still couldn't talk at all. But basically I had like a little one octave piano and essentially one day I just played the EastEnders theme tune on it perfectly, randomly out of nowhere. And my parents, of course, you know, it says a lot about my parents' (laughs) nineties TV habits, um, but yeah, they, I think they kind of thought, okay, that's quite cool and sort of ran with that. So I I started playing piano when I was five. I always hated performing. Right, it's always been a running thing. So it's always like I was always, always enjoyed playing it and learning it. But then they'd be like, "Oh, you know, go and play this for for your grandpa." I'd be really we'd really love to hear yeah. it. And I'm just like, absolutely not. um So was it
0: like something you did for yourself?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I think the I mean, obviously, the, I mean, at that age, it it wasn't until a chunk later on that I even could, was aware you could mm. make money out of it or do a career out of it. But yeah. Yeah, it was always it was something I was totally obsessed with. So I spent all my time doing it. But yeah, it, it was. I think it was very much for me
0: and not for anybody yeah.
1: else at that stage.
0: What was kind of the, like the next the next thing for you? Were you playing with other musicians at all? Did you go and join any kind of like bands? I think
1: certainly, sort of through through primary school to start of secondary school, it was yeah. It was always just me. I had no interest in sort of that. I mean, I mean, there was a few a few sort of moments of yeah. You know, maybe. 11, 12, 13, you know, you, you're in a band for about four minutes and then it's terrible and then you <laughs> move on. And you break up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, It was probably around 13, about year nine, we got at school with a whole a whole new set of music teachers. Everyone sort of left at the same time New Lot came in. And that was, I think, was a turning point for me. They were really good at getting me to engage with it a bit more in terms of trying to think about, joining groups and stuff like that so i mean that's when I mean, by the, by that point i'd actually started doing um, percussion and drums as well as piano so it's actually okay. that was my route into joining like the school orchestra and stuff like that and then mm. later on i ended up accompanying the school choir for a couple of years so they kind of got me out of my shell a little bit in terms of performing yeah. and it was fine because i guess in the sort of accompanying sense you're not the main event yeah so course. i think that was i think that was the, the loophole that my brain sort of took to to get around that. But then that, yeah, I mean, that's, we had someone come in to school, I think it was about year 10 and they they were a film and TV composer. I mean, you know do mostly TV. And that was sort of, but, but I think prior to that, I hadn't even had the awareness of, you know, I was aware of TV music, film music, but not in terms of its impact on, you know, what it might be like if it wasn't there and how important it is for storytelling and all that sort of thing. So I think from then on, I sort of realized, okay, composing, that's a thing. And that gets me past the thing of, I don't have to perform. I can, it's kind of a behind the scenes role, but it's prominent enough that you can sort of, you know, people can hear your music and that sort of thing, but it gets round the thing of I'm not performing in front of anybody. I'm in here.
0: That was quite a pivotal moment for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it certainly helped start to direct me
0: in towards where i am now i guess it's been so interesting doing these conversations and i've said this on a few podcasts but like so many people have these like moments (laughs) that was just meeting one person that maybe came into their school or they went and saw something was just like oh that and it ignited like a whole thing for them and kind of like in some ways that was the beginning of their kind of journey in that in that kind of area so did you begin producing music at home at that point when did that all kick in for you was that was that later or did you have like a computer with a DAW? And
1: I think it was all around that stage. I mean, probably year so year seven, year eight, year nine. I think I'd started. I mean, I was, I was, I was very into dance music and house music at this point, which I still I still love. But it, that was kind of, I think, at that point, I was absolutely going to be Calvin Harris, and that was my yeah. That was my direction. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like of a lot course. of people had that had that stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I had. I'd very loosely started playing around with ideas on computers at school and that sort of thing. And then I got, I think I got a laptop, you know, like an HP laptop or something, you know, going towards my GCSEs and uh, i trying to think of what software I would have used. Yeah, I think I had a dodgy copy of Cubase or, yeah. I
0: had like the free version where you uh I think you could only have like eight tracks or something. Yeah. And uh, so you used to have to bounce them, like literally you would on a multi-track, like a multi-track yeah. tape machine. You just to have to bounce them down all the time so you can get more yeah, tracks, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think I started in that, and then I got a a dodgy copy of SX or whatever the one where you could go a bit further was. Yeah. So I think the production side of me started there. Yeah. And then obviously later on, at some point, I made this big old switch to loving film music. But actually, that was quite useful, because a lot of those skills carried over. You know, you're in the same software. Actually, some of those production techniques... Yeah. Are really useful. I still use them now. You know, whereas they you know sort of chopping stuff up and playing around with it, and the actual mm. the,
0: the non classical side of of that still applies massively to to what I'm doing now. So from school, you then went to uni to study to study music. You went to Trinity Laban um, and you studied composition. So how did you find that whole experience?
1: It was. I mean,
0: again, I, I so this, I think the, the the big switch to composition for me
1: happened towards the end of sixth form. Um, and that's when I had this really clear sense of from that point on it was I want to be a film composer I want to be a TV composer yeah. that is it Right. there were no other options so at that point it was very very clear but I had that so late in in during the A-levels that I'd, I'd missed all the deadlines for applying mm-hmm. for everything so I took a year out right. so I was still writing a lot in that year and I, I think probably a naive part of me thought I could just go straight into it at that point and <laughs> learn very quickly that wasn't the case yeah um so they the, so yeah, the following year i applied to did a sort of whole conservatoire circuit i guess application wise and mm. got into trinity and did their foundation course that was in 2008 so i did that for a year and mm. then while i was there i applied for the degree and got into that then so then i did the four-year degree after that so the comp i mean as you want, you you will know through your exposure to it i suppose i mean the composition mm. degree is is very it's brilliant but it's Very intense, and it's very not about becoming a film composer. It's it's very much on the contemporary side, Mm. and I think that was a you know looking back at the time. I think I probably found it a bit frustrating quite a lot of the time that there wasn't that crossover for me with the film stuff. But actually looking back, I think it was great in terms of well, I was kind of taking care of that a lot of that myself. Yeah, you know, I didn't necessarily need to sit down and learn how to use Logic or, you know, I needed to. Have my eyes opened musically to all these other different things. I mean, cause up until that point, I was I was only listening to film music, and i happily put my hands up to that. I wasn't
0: like film soundtracks. So you yeah. listen to the whole of a film soundtrack by what kind of what kind of people are you listening to at that point? What who are you, who uh, was in your kind of record collection or your Spotify list?
1: A lot of John Powell, Thomas Newman, you know the kind of big big you know Hans Hans Zimmer's in there as well. Yeah. Um. At the time, it was it was a lot of a lot of that, and again, uh, you know, I mean, I met I met John a few times actually. I met him once after a gig he did in London, and I, I met him once in LA, yeah, about ten years later. And it's interesting hearing him talk about, you know, he is so big on don't listen to film music, listen to other stuff. But right. I think is it my I think my journey between the first and second time I met him and heard him say that the first time I was like okay, whatever, and the second time it sort of made sense to me because I think. It's definitely opened my eyes to a lot of other music. There's all then fed back into my stuff that I do now. Obviously, there's a very probably extreme side of it, not so much, but you know, a lot of, I'd say, a lot of Steve Reich sort of minimalism kind of stuff has has fed mm. into to my writing now. So it was really useful in terms of that, and also being in London for three or four years, you're meeting, obviously, you're you're thrown into this ring of people who are the same age, in a way, trying to do similar things, but they're all trying to do music for a living at that point yeah so i think that was very useful as well of course you
0: build up a network of people yeah so um when you say you were listening to a lot of these film scores were you you're obviously listening to them but were you kind of sitting down at the piano and working them out how did you how did you kind of get these sounds under your fingers and, 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 and in that kind of space
1: it was definitely all by ear i mean that's one thing i've always had it's everything in my life has always been i mean i I can sight read enough Mm. but oh man i'm the same (laughs) again that that, that was probably another thing that sort of felt like a barrier in terms of the performance thing because i've just never really got sight reading properly sussed um probably partly out of laziness because i've i know i've got a good ear and i can just kind of work it out yeah but it got to the point i mean i did ended up doing my grade eight piano essentially by i wasn't getting it and then i just thought actually i could just learn this all by ear over time yeah i spent like a few months doing that and i and that's Mm. that's how i did it so the same sort of happens with yeah listening to these film soundtracks and just like learning working out the harmonies working out the voicings that sort of thing a lot of that was just me doing that myself sometimes you'd sort of get hold of the scores if you could that's actually got a lot better in the last decade or so there's you know there's a company in the States called Omni Music, they do a lot of prop I mean, you get you can get a lot of sort of arrangements for orchestra, school orchestras and stuff of, of famous film music, mm. but they're really good that they're taking the sort of original scores from the sessions and putting those out in big sort of chunky books. So that that's really amazing useful for people
0: who want to yeah.
1: dive into that those scores a bit more.
0: So obviously you had this uh, composition degree you were doing where you were looking at more contemporary classical music and all that that kind of world. How did you then move from uni into working in the industry? What was that process like for you? To be honest, it kind of, they kind of overlapped the whole time. I mean, my my
1: entry into actually doing composing in any way for a living was through adverts. So this was must have been my first year of Trinity. I sort of was emailing lots of companies doing doing music for advertising and one company called Macasso um, sort of gave me a shot and they said we'll, 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 we'll give you a chance on this it was, it was really it was like an Al Jazeera kids game show it was a really random thing <laughs> but, they, but, but they wanted this big kind of Pirates of the Caribbean music brief yeah. was what they sort of had and I did that and I, I I got some music through sort of first time for that which was very lucky um, so I think that kind of got me in the door with them in terms of okay we'll we'll keep sending stuff your way and see what happens and actually after that time it was a very long time before i landed anything again so i probably did about 40 50 ad pitches and nothing yeah. was going through which isn't great you know re- rejection is it's definitely a skill to be learned in terms of of course i mean yeah, music I- music generally but particularly the sort of film and tv composing there's a there's a lot of that around so the the first 5 or 10 of those they're all heartbreaking And by the time you get to 40 50 of them you kind of you've built up a bit of a wall and
0: resilience there's resilience. quite a few things you have mentioned there i think it'd be really great to dive into because i think sometimes this world can seem slightly mysterious and um you know That's h- it is. how exactly <laughs> it doesn't make any it sense is mysterious well we're going to try and um we're going to try and uh, make it a bit less mysterious for everyone so when you say you created the music for that what the al jazeera uh, kids show yeah. whatever the, the pirates of the caribbean thing that wasn't with real life musicians was it that like you created that in the box or was or, yes. or did you actually have some live players on that
1: no that was all sort of in the box i mean actually i mean that, that's that's another area that's moved on so much in the what 12 13 years since i did did those tracks um but yeah a lot of the times the budget just, just isn't there for 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 getting real players on i mean i always try nowadays i really try and get one person on it doing something at least mm. just i don't know if that's just me out of principle or i mean I, I, yeah. it, it does you know one one good life player on something can really lift it so i think of that's course. really important if you can um but no that was that was completely in the box uh essentially they they i think they because the process is essentially they'll start editing up a TV show they'll put together what's called a temp track, which is where they're going to just, you know, to help pace the edit, really, they want to, they need music to just help shape that. So they'll just grab whatever. So in this in this instance, they grabbed a lot of Pirates of the
0: Caribbean stuff. Yeah. Which obviously they can't afford. Because um, they'd have to pay the rights for that. For, yes, so exactly. They'd have to actually pay uh, Hans Zimmer, isn't it? Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to pay Hans Zimmer so, a, a, a sum of money in order to use that. So they have to create something that sounds similar
1: yeah so I mean there's the, the sort of two ways this goes you, you get situations where it's like I want you to get as close to this as possible and they've just fallen in love with it and they can't get out of their heads yeah and that's what you end up I've doing that. which is always a bit soul destroying <laughs> the the better version of that the more ideal version is where they they sort of use that as a steer but also they want their show to have an identity and they want it to have, you know, across the whole score, they want it to have themes going through or they want it to have a sound going through, which they're not going to get from just plucking four different tracks from four different soundtracks. So yeah. that, that's the ideal that, you know, you sort of listen to it and you go, okay, that's what they're thinking. And then you can mute
0: that and go, and go and do your own thing. And can you just explain exactly what in the box means because i think that's something else as well that uh that is like you say has massively changed over the last few years you can actually now i mean maybe not back then but nowadays with the sample libraries that are out there you can actually create a completely full sounding orchestral score literally from sat at home with no real players at all it's kind of amazing how that technology has advanced have you got the bbc symphony orchestra plugin from spitfire
1: um i actually don't have that one but i'm 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 definitely aware of it and i think the difference between then and now i don't think it's so much about i mean you could do it then the quality is improved yeah but i mean i remember then i had i think essentially i i think i just blew a chunk of student loan that i had at the time right, okay on pay you know at the time getting like a basic sample library pack was very basic ones four or five hundred quid six hundred yeah. quid to get just a basic setup together if not a little bit more and it was just a risk i took that paid off because then you know that job came out and probably paid that back Mm -hmm. um but it i mean there's definitely was i mean this still is a massive accessibility issue with this stuff but it's been improved a lot more and i think the spitfire bbc symphony orchestra thing you just mentioned is an example of that because they have there's three tiers to it there's the there's the top pack which you can't remember how much it is and there's a middle pack and then there's a thing called discover which is free yeah the idea that yeah the for no money, you can just get your DAW, open it up, download that. You know, it's it's, it's a it's a basic selection, but it, but the quality of that's good. So anyone can go in there and, and start doing that, which I think is fantastic, which was not available to anyone when I was starting out.
0: And for anyone listening, I'd seriously suggest downloading that thing. I've done some work with Spitfire before, and they're just such an amazing company. And uh, you should check out all the Labs instruments as well. They're really, really great. You can just literally get going on this th- pretty much for free and just have a go at actually writing something so you mentioned you you did a lot of adverts and you mentioned you mentioned pitching for those adverts can you just explain a bit about that because i think this is one of the more mysterious the mysterious sides of it so how does that whole process work the idea of pitching
1: so what will normally happen is you'll get an email from probably a a music house that an advertising agency have gone to saying music music they might go to two or three normally actually how it normally works is you'll get an email you'll get a brief so you'll get you know this is an advert for i don't know ford or something you know car advert 60 seconds you might get it's a bit like what i was saying before you might get uh a temp track that they like or you might just get given buzzwords about the moods that they want to go for you know what they're trying to convey you'll normally get the the picture you know you'll get the footage without music on or with the tempo on and then you've got normally not very long a couple of days to to put a track together so that's the the basis of how it all gets started and then you might jump on a call with them and and discuss what you're going to do but generally you just sort of dive in and, and give it your best shot and it's 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 yeah it's it's if it is quite a brutal
0: it can be quite a brutal process you can put your whole heart and soul into this piece of music and it's like oh, i'm sorry about that no it's not not <laughs> not you this time
1: yeah and, and like i said you know, I, over time, that becomes just more. Now that's yeah. just a really normal part of it. But when you're starting out, it does feel it does feel personal for a bit, and then you realise it's not at all, and they've just got
0: other things they liked. When you when you sit down like with something like that, you've just got you've just been sent the uh, the video, the picture. What is the first thing you do? Are you going to the piano? Are you are you finding a sound? What what's how do you how do you approach it? I think there's
1: a number of different ways. I think it depends on a lot of things. It depends how much time have you got depends what's being asked of it i mean i think if it's you know if they've gone we love this i now track yeah i'm probably immediately more likely to go over there and sit at the piano and start there because in that situation i suppose there's not a lot else going on that can kind of production wise that can cover up that so that that bit's got to be the main the main event yeah they, for me it's about trying to work out what from the music they've got they're liking because it's not like i say most of the time it's not about rip it off there's just some something in there that they like yeah whether it's the general just harmonic space it's in or whether it's the sound world it's in and actually the rest of the track can be very different
0: and sometimes you have to read minds i guess as well yeah yeah definitely moving away from the advert world you then transitioned into tv and film music so how have you found that shift uh and how did that all come about the 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 sort of changing from doing a 30 second advert to looking at a more extended piece of piece of writing
1: um in terms of the transition i mean i'm trying to sort of think how that happened i think i think it ended up happening quite organically because i was doing adverts so i had been doing adverts with this company micasso for a number of years and then you know i was still a freelance at that point so i was like you know let's try and get some stuff with more companies and see see what happens so I started emailing again I mean throughout this entire time I was always thinking I want to be doing TV I want to be doing film I was never kind of sort of focused focused on the ad thing but I was never sort of that was never my intention it just kind of I just kind of fell into that and it worked for, for a long time and I'm very grateful for it but I was always sort of sending emails about TV and film stuff and trying to get that off the ground it just takes a while to do um but one composer I emailed, is a composer called Paul Leonard Morgan, who at that point... Do you remember Spooks, the BBC spy show? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah I used yeah. to love
0: that. It was like the so, British 24, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so at that point, yeah. he'd just he'd just sort of wrapped up doing the last kind of four or five seasons of that. Um, so that was about the point I'd, I'd been emailing him. And I was emailing him completely about, sort of, can I help out on any TV soundtracks and all that sort of thing. But actually, I, he also ran a company called Rage Music that did advertising so I ended up doing work for him kind of through them on the ad stuff which was kind of I suppose for him what he had recently left behind because his tv and film stuff was taking off so that worked out quite nicely because it was more advert work in the short term but also in the long term it was a contact that I was Mm. sort of keeping in touch with and then around that time he pitched on a film called Limitless which with Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro he got that I've seen that actually. Yeah, it's a really good film. Yeah, it's if a good you film. It, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Um, he did that and he did Dread, um, the sort of 2012 version of that. Mm. And I think that those two things sort of catapulted his career off into to the next thing. So then it was kind of quite nice because then suddenly he had a need for, you know, I'll do the odd bit of synth programming on this and, you know, a bit of arranging on that sort of thing. So then mm. that naturally, just through the fact that I was already doing stuff with Rage meant that oh well here's this person that i already know and that i sort of trust and i know can produce and stuff like that so that was really nice because it kind of organically led to that i mean and, and Paul's someone i've been working with for you know i still do a lot of work with him now so it's 10, 10 11 years of various yeah. tv projects i mean it's kind of evolved over the years did that and then he did the remake of um dynasty on netflix so there's five seasons of that and sort of season three onwards i was kind of starting to help on that and then was doing additional music on that towards the end so that was a really good learning experience for me in terms of not just suddenly you're doing you know music for a longer form thing but also that was one of those sort of proper 22 episodes a year american yeah. network tv shows and there's like you've got sort of one coming out every week Yeah. so in terms of just from a time management point of view deadlines all that stuff it was a real learning curve and in terms of I think storytelling over a longer period, you've got 22 episodes and it's like, you know, trying to keep the music as fresh as you can through that mm. whilst keeping it still recognizably within
0: the show's identity. So when you, when you say you were helping out, because I know a lot of people have got into the film and TV music industry through potentially being an assistant or, or you know, helping out on, on these big, massive projects, which, like you say, are maybe 22 episodes a year, which is a huge amount of music. What, what exactly is helping out on one of these projects? I mean, there's a million different ways
1: that 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 manifests itself. I mean, in terms of the proper being someone, you know, I am this person's assistant and they're paying me as as a full-time assistant. I've actually never done that. But that generally feels like it's more of a technical role initially. You know, you might be going in and... well, Initially, you might be going in and just sort of getting lunch and just helping keep their studio running and all that sort of thing. But it probably quite quickly graduates into... You know, there's the writing of the music, but you also, if you're recording, then you've got, you know, God knows how many Pro Tools sessions that need setting up. So the composer probably hasn't got time to do that, especially on a show like that. So then someone else comes in, you know, helps out setting up that sort of thing, maybe helps prepping scores or whatever. And then you kind of start moving into the more creative roles, which is, like I say, I did a lot of, still do, quite a bit of synth programming, where you're sort of taking somebody's score they've done and just adding flourishes to it it can be just working on the orchestral programming if it's an in-the-box score to try and just really get the best out of those samples or in other situations it can be more of a specific oh I really like your approach to how you put synths in scores I'd love you to just sprinkle some of that on on my my work and it becomes a bit more of a collaborative thing the additional music side is probably the most contentious part of the assisting thing. I think there's so many different versions of that. And I think more recently, I think there's been a bit more
0: speaking out about making sure that's done fairly. I think there's definitely a wrong way of doing yeah. that. It's kind of a weird phrase, isn't it? Additional music. It, Cause it, yeah, it's like, what there's, there's main music and then extra music. There's just yeah. music surely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, 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 it's defi- and it's definitely, and it's definitely a, it's definitely a sort of blurred line. You've got additional music, mm. you've got co-composing and you've got yeah. composing. So the, the lines between those three are, are often often blurred for any number of reasons you know contractual reasons there's um you know composer reasons whatever but yeah i mean my i guess my ideal definition of additional music would be you are contributing to the score as in your you are writing but you know the composer has obviously created the themes they've created the tone of the score and you're helping out on you know you're writing some of it you know maybe a quarter, you know, maximum a quarter of the score, or something like that. You know, I feel, I feel like there's a limit. I think in an ideal world, if you're writing half the score, if you're writing more than that, you know,
0: yeah. So I know like uh, managing deadlines is huge in this industry. Like quite often, the turnaround time on these things is is very very tight. What are like your go to methods for making sure that you meet those meet those deadlines? Do you have like a a set way of working? Because it's obviously and particularly if you've got multiple projects on the go, I can imagine that can be really hard as well when you're trying to have your heads in two spaces or do you only work on one score at a time? What's kind of your 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 process for that?
1: I think the managing of deadlines is probably the thing I'm still most working on. Like right. you, you always find a way, but I think it ties in quite nicely to the, the additional music question as well as to how that comes mm. about. I mean, a lot of the time that comes about from the fact, that, you know, certainly I know jobs I've done additional music on have only come about because that composer has taken them on then it's been a production delay and then suddenly it's it's come back at a time when they've got three shows going but you've already signed contracts you know you'll have to do them but suddenly there's two or three shows going at once so you do need the help on it and you know i think that's how the whole music team ends up being a thing in terms of me personally how i'm dealing with that I mean those situations just happen and you just kind of go and then try and work it out Um, you just have to be very very flexible I think in how how and when you're working and it's hard it gets harder when you start having a family having kids because they have all this stuff that's very set in stone and I'm very lucky that um, you know Catherine my wife has seen we've sort of gone through this together this whole journey and she's composing now as well so we're now juggling between two of us but again we also we will have the flexibility of we're both working from home and you know if your deadline is if you're at point a and your deadline is at point b it doesn't actually matter how you get there so in terms of you know that's that's a really useful asset because actually it's like okay uh you know catherine has got this thing on she's doing i can actually take five for a minute and i can do what i need to do tomorrow because it's not due till next week yeah so you just have to really look at what everyone's got going on and try and manage it there's always there's always a point towards the end of a project where you're aiming towards a recording session or you're aiming towards something and then that's just okay i'm in i'm doing evenings i'm doing late nights i'm doing early mornings mm. whatever you, you you can try and get around that all you like but i've if anyone's got a way around that let me know but yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm. there's always that at the end of a project and you know even more so on a, on, a, on a bigger TV project, film project, because, you know, edits are changing. It is, everything is changing right up to that last second. You've got new cuts coming in. You've got new notes coming in from producers and it all needs doing. And then it's just sort of this mm. point where you're
0: like, okay, cool, we just have to, you have to get this ready for, for a session now. You mentioned recording as well, which is obviously a huge part of the film and TV music kind of world. I know that manifests itself in a number of different ways right the way from you going to a recording session in the UK with a, with a full orchestra right the way to you having someone come to your house to record to even you doing virtual recordings now where you're, you're actually recording an orchestra in a different country virtually over the internet. So how has that process changed? And it, I mean, I guess every project is completely different.
1: I think again, and uh, I think there's a running theme with all these things we're talking about the sample libraries and this that we're about to get onto about sort of the evolution of technology and i guess it's a conversation the whole world's having with ai at the moment of course of, yeah you know there's amazing things about it and there's there's bad things about it you know take taking the sample library thing from earlier it's amazing because it opens up this music making to anybody and it's becoming more accessible with the bbcso stuff that's free and but at the same time it's it's making it possible to write really great stuff without spending out for an orchestra so then you've got someone crunching the numbers on a production and suddenly they're like oh okay so we we don't have to pay for that anymore cool and then so (laughs) the flip side of that is the opportunity of of recording sort of big orchestras is is dwindling every day but we still get to do it every now and then which is obviously lovely um in terms of how we do that there's obviously the top tier go to abbey road and record with a massive orchestra or go to air and record with a great group of london players who you know i love those players they're incredibly good at what they do you know being in a room and watching them sight read something first time is amazing um i don't know how they do it but sometimes there's not the money for that you know so we have to find other ways so the particularly eastern european orchestra sector has definitely stepped up here and you've there's definitely you've def- definitely seen that evolve in the last 10 years i mean i think the first time i used one was on a boots advert when was that was from 2011 Wow! Yeah, and seeing the difference in not in the standard they're playing, but just the the recording setup between then and now. Because I mean, since then they they're going off to do, you know, they're doing massive projects. You know, Hans Records out there, Lorne Balf Records out there. You know, all the, all these massive composer John Powell recorded for the Hans Solo movie. He recorded a choir out in Bulgaria, so they they're getting all this great work in. But just the co- the cost difference from a from a practical point of view is massive. So it's great because it allows us on mid-tier projects slightly lower tier projects to to have that live element on it so it's mm. amazing for that um and then when covid came along you know we had to find a way of carrying on so so then we ended up yeah so here you know i, I did an album a library music album here recorded it in Sofia, in bulgaria and we're sat in here and orchestra on the screen there coming through audio movers, and it's amazing you've got this you know you've got their Basically, you're hearing what they hear in the control room live. You're getting that quality of feed from them and you're just talking back and it's it's like you're in a room. So it's it's incredible it's like how a that's... a whole new way of yeah, working, yeah, yeah.
0: isn't it? <laughs> audio movers is amazing. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, basically it, you put this plug-in on your master out channel and whatever DAW you're using and then you can send like a really high quality audio signal to someone else in the world. And it's just like... the I, The first time I used that, I was like, this is an absolute game changer because it means that you can just actually hear... Rather than it going through Zoom, where it's all compressed, and although they've got the original sound thing, it's just, it's just like, it's just like a complete direct feed out the desk. Yeah, it's mad, and it's, it was so,
1: it was so lucky that we had that around going through lockdowns and trying to carry on because it, it mm-hmm. meant, you know, for everyone, it meant we could carry on writing and recording. It meant the players could carry on recording and earning money and that sort of thing. Um, and you know, going on to the, the the soloist side of things, you know, the, the whole pandemic i think suddenly put a lot of players in a situation where they weren't able to go out and work so a lot of people were were, were buying sort of basic setups and recording from home yeah. which i definitely used on a number of things it's been really nice recently having people actually coming in here again we had a uh, john mills who's a uh, amazing he's a uh, the first violin in a Tippett quartet but he does a lot of session work as well and uh he was here recording for the two singles i've got coming out later in the year and he's an incredible player it's just right. it's really nice having people back in the room again. So there's so many yeah. different ways that it, it manifests itself. Like I say, I try try to, even if it's an in the box thing, if I can get one player on it, you can, you know, the, the 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 samples sound brilliant, but having those samples with a violin player at the top, even if it's not either as a soloist or you can actually have them, you know, just doubling the the top line of the, mm. you know, violin one ensemble part and just bed it that lifts in the mix it so much. Have, yeah, it? yeah. The difference is it's so worth it.
0: Oh, it is. And it's fun as well. Like getting people in the room is just that's what music's all about. You know, it's about being in a space with other people making sound together. That's I think all these things like you mentioned AI and you mentioned like the the kind of sample library thing. They're all things that speed up a process and make it easier. But you still can't forget what they're there to recreate. If you see what I mean, the, the, that's yeah, always, totally. having people in the room is always going to be better than any sample library, any AI um because it's it's just got that human sound and music's a very human thing so it's all got very philosophical all of a sudden but yeah
1: yeah no i'm I'm down with it don't worry Uh, but no they're all kind of i think if they're used correctly if they're used as tools to help you get to that point yeah they're incredible but i think the problem is you then with all these things you have people who want to take advantage of that
0: and okay okay Mm. that means we don't have to do this anymore and it means we can save money here and it means we can, you know absolutely Hi, it's Adam here. I just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to ask you a very small favor. If you're getting lots of value from these conversations and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, please do subscribe to The Keys Coach wherever you get your podcasts. This means that you can continue to hear these great conversations and you'll be notified each time a new episode comes out. And if you're feeling even more generous, please do consider leaving us a review. This helps others to discover the podcast and join this community. Thank you so much for your support. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get back to the conversation. I mean, you mentioned a minute ago uh, about library music. Um, And this is another kind of avenue for anyone who's a a sort of musician. It's a very interesting area because it's, with with the adverts and with the tv and film music you're writing music for a specific purpose that you know you maybe got a film or you've got a piece of video or whatever it is and you're writing it for that whereas library music is kind of like it's music that could be used for something but it's just put out there into the world that you can then use so how did you get into library music and how have you found working in that world
1: yeah it's a i mean it's it's a great i mean it You'll get a, bit, a lot of people will think of library music, they sort of call it their pension in a way, because it's kind of like <laughs> Right. There are plenty of people that do that full time. It's certainly an option to do that. Um generally how it will work is you'll write either tracks towards an album or you'll write an album in a certain style, and that'll be marketed to editors normally who are working on shows that don't have a music budget for a composer. So, for example, the most recent one, I've actually me and me and Catherine both wrote tracks for it was a sort of a crime docudrama thing so it's all very okay. kind of synthy synthy drone tension kind of stuff which sits really nicely under you know you sort of 24 hours in police custody kind of shows or any yeah. of those sort of things so that will get put out and it'll get marketed out to probably editors that they know who are working on that kind of thing and it'll go out on their website they have a massive catalog on their website you know the keywords in genre keywords musical keywords and that sort of thing and these editors go and search for it and Find their music, and yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's an interesting way of totally different way of working because it allows them to have high quality music on their productions that the production always couldn't afford. It's great for composers because you know it's a great extra income. And I mean, I know a lot of it's not even just limited to people who are composing full time. You know, there are plenty of people doing live music as a side hustle to any other job. It might not even be a music job or. As a side hustle to performing or to teaching, obviously my start was in adverts. But I think if you're not doing that, it's a great way potentially of just starting to
0: get music out there and starting to earn a bit of money from yeah. it, and and learning your craft as well. So obviously, I think one of the things that people find a little bit mysterious is how composers actually get paid when their music's used on a TV program or a uh, an advert or something like that. Um, so how does that how does that work? So there's well, I say there's two. There's library music. There's
1: two potentially three sides to this generally if we're talking library music you won't get paid up front to write the tracks and then you will get there's prs which is the performance side of the royalties which that's what you're getting paid for you know for your music being played on on tv film whatever and then there's mcps where you're sort of that's where you're getting your money from your your bit of the fee that they've paid to to sync the Mm -hmm. tracks so you get statements every quarter. You know your tracks. The, the the library companies, the publishers register your tracks with them, and then as they get used, a production will submit a cue sheet, which is basically just a list of you know we use this music from for this length of time, and then that all gets reported to PRS. They do some sort of voodoo <laughs> with all that.
0: I have um, no idea how that works. That must no. be a crazy, like, office. I mean, I'm just imagining all these people running around with bits of paper. I imagine it's a bit more sophisticated than that. I'd like but, to think um, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't know how they... It's, to ask, it seems yeah. like a crazy job, yeah.
1: Yeah, I have no idea how that all sort of comes to be. I mean, I, th- there are definitely areas where it's a bit more defined and areas it's less defined. So in yeah. in TV terms, each station has a per minute rate. So, like, BBC One primetime is... to the highest but the highest of those rates and then they sort of it's all based on viewership and time of day and that sort of thing there's peak peak rates off peak rates and then your royalties come in and it's just an accumulation of you know whatever has been used when and that's that's your your 50% share of that is this generally where your royalties come from there, there are sometimes variations of that with live music where you might get paid up front to right and in exchange for that you know it's, it's sort of a buyout for, a ch- for some of your mechanical royalties or s- something like that um and that it has its pros and its cons, but yeah. you know, it is nice, sort of obviously getting paid up front to write for something. It feels a bit more like, okay, I'm being paid, I've written this thing and I'm getting paid. Whereas the yeah. the general library music model is a bit more, at the time, it can feel very speculative and it could feel like, oh, why am I doing this? But then a couple
0: of years down the line, you start seeing the money come in. And you don't really have any say on when where that music gets placed, I guess, as well. You, you get a statement through and it's like, oh, it was on kids say the funniest thing. Oh, I don't know what even show it might be on, but it like just be some random TV show that it's used yeah. on, you know. Yeah, I was
1: quite big on the Jeremy Carl scene at one point. Um, <laughs> oh, but...
0: nice. That's a, that's a funny scene to be on, man. He's not around yeah. anymore, is he? Well, he is sort of around, I think, but the, that that show isn't on anymore. Yeah, Yeah, the
1: show's not around. But yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting because you, you can get, you know, occasionally you can get quite, really quite decent payouts from around, from, you know, I had a track, I suppose kind of like a Copeland-y kind of a very American-y orchestral track yeah. meets trailer and that got used on CNN for their 2020 election coverage i don't know it might even have been the theme for their coverage for, for a month or something so you suddenly get this quite nice chunk of money because they've just used this track a lot so it's a complete gamble and that's the thing about it being a numbers game just it's a great way of getting music out there there's so many libraries out there now that it's quite accessible i'd say you know if you get a few tracks together there'll be someone who you can write for and start to do a bit more. And then perhaps through that, you can got a bit more to take to a bigger company and that sort of thing. So I think if if someone's looking to start out now, I think that's a great way of doing
0: it. That's a really nice segue to go onto this next question what are the things you need to do in order to get started in this world, even just to have a go at writing something? So maybe you've got some skills on piano, maybe you've got, I don't know, logic or something like that. What would you say as a really successful composer would be the things to really try out and plough time into?
1: I think, I'll, I'll break this up. I think there are two sides to this. The musical side is, I think, making sure you're listening to Particularly if you're going for see, like the, the the film, TV stuff. Just listening to as much music as you can, because it all makes an appearance in some way, shape, or form. Making sure you are really well informed on different genres and that sort of thing It amazes me. How many people still come into this as firmly straight classical composers, and they don't do anything else. Right. Which I think I think nowadays is probably detrimental if you're going to go into it. Um, I think just having yeah, if if you've got if you've got a basic setup together just something like downloading the bbcso discover thing from spitfire is a great way to just get started with playing around with stuff definitely if you know just go out and creating sounds is a great way of doing that as well you know go and record some sounds and try and turn that into something because i, I think the great thing about doing that is immediately you, you've got something that nobody else has you know yeah. you've got all these great sounds around but so does everybody else so it's, what's the thing that's going to make you you? It's like, oh, you know, I went and recorded this thing and I messed about with it and created this synth out of it, whatever. You know, that's that's yours and that's you and your own voice starting to come through from a yeah. very early stage. I think for the non-musical side of things, you know, a lot of people say this and it's totally true that, you know, in terms of composing a career, the composing bit's probably at the very most half of it, if yeah. not probably 25%, to be honest. You know, just being you know, the rest of it's the organisation side of it. It's just being, being likeable, just being a nice person, being a self, that's really important. And that was something probably took me a while to learn. I think I went into it thinking, oh, I need to be this person because then everyone will want to work with me. And that's actually over time, it's like, actually you you are, you know, there are certain people you're going to work with who are going to like you. And there are other people who you're just not Mm. compatible with and you're not going to work with and that's fine. And you, you just have to, I think, be yourself and yeah. Believing yourself because it's it's a it's not it's not a short process it's 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 you know you, d- you can make a successful career out of it you can make money from it but i think loving doing it has to be the number one thing because it's a long road
0: to doing it but it's an amazing journey as well yeah i bet i mean and you you obviously clearly love it because you've I, I love the way you said that you knew from that you just kind of have always had the film and tv thing going through your whole life it's always what you wanted to do and now you're doing it that's so fantastic um you mentioned earlier that you've released some music under your own name as well, which is not necessarily for TV or for anything like that. It's just music that you're releasing. So, why did you why did you start that project, and and how did you make that happen? Um,
1: I th- it originally came about through uh, a label, uh, Chromy Music. Uh, it's run by Tom Farland, who's a, another composer mm-hmm. who we both yeah, know from Tom. Trinity as well. Uh, but they sort of they're very focused on putting out you know, really high quality orchestral music, classical music, done properly, recorded live. So I was very lucky they asked me to to do an EP originally, which, so I recorded just piano, cello and violin on that um, at Master Chord in 2020. Uh, so that's called Kaleidoscope, that's on Spotify. Uh, and then I ended up doing an album for them as well called Celestia, which came out in February, which we recorded in Bulgaria. That was an or- sort of
0: string, mm. string
1: and synths kind of
0: album. I'll put links to all of these in the uh, description so people go and check these out.
1: Go for it, thank you. um <laughs> Yeah, and what's nice about those is even though you know the link to it has come through the film stuff, it's kind of go and do your own thing, go and go and write. And I, it it a it provided me with a bit of a release from the deadlines and the. The collaborative stuff, which I do love, but there is always so that part of you that just, oh, I just want to go and try that. So it allows you mm. to do that. But actually through doing that, you know, that music's out on Spotify, you know, under your name, alongside all your film work. It actually sort of circles back and comes back on itself. Because actually for me, there's definitely doors that have opened up for me in terms of potential projects in the pipeline or anything else where mm. the overriding thing from that is, oh, we love that album you did. or we love that EP you did. So yeah actually just giving yourself the time to do that in your downtime has potentially come back and paid off from a career perspective as well. So it's, it's it's really nice to be able to do that. And, and, you know, I'm really excited about the next few things that are coming out. So.
0: awesome, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. I think this interview has been really, really great because you've just, you've sort of demystified a lot of this kind of world, which can sometimes seem very kind of, I don't know quite hard to work out how it all works and um I think I think there's been so much great advice in there for anyone who wants to get into this world or wants to try writing a piece of production music or even beginning to put some music to to a kind of image which is fantastic. What does the uh, what does the future hold for you? What is he what's the like do you have something like oh I haven't done that yet I'd absolutely love to go and do this is there what's the future plan?
1: It's always trying to make future plans is always uh it's a bizarre industry for that. It's always very something will come along that you never expected that'll be amazing but um in terms of what's immediately in the pipeline for me i'm doing uh so i took over as the composer for who do you think you are last year the um bbc documentary show so the next series of that is underway um i love that show yeah it's great i mean it's it's you know there's a reason it's lasted 20 years it's just Mm. yeah it's 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 you know amazing sort of stories come out of it yeah um in terms of other stuff I mean, i've done a, again with paul we've we've co-composed a natural history feature for netflix so that'll be coming out at some point um that's definitely an area i want to explore more of that's my first natural history thing but i absolutely loved it and really yeah engaged with it and you know from a production point of view that's most of that's coming out of bristol which isn't that far
0: away from me nice. so it's definitely an area i'm hoping to kind of look into a bit more i'd love to do more yeah. of that brilliant amazing and where can people go and check out all your music and find out more about you
1: um uh spotify is a good starting point uh look up let me up on there uh mike com, my website it's got information about my projects and uh, tracks on there as well and video clips and that sort of thing uh across all the socials i don't know if you want to link to those yeah i'll do that i'll put some links in the it.
0: description for people who can go and check you out amazing thanks so much mike it's been a real pleasure Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much to Mike for coming on the podcast. It was so great hearing about everything he's up to. Do go and check out all the links in the description and go and check out his music. Thank you so much for listening. We have lots of other awesome guests coming up for you. So do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I will see you in the next episode.